0: to a new edition of the Neon Jazz interview series with veteran jazz guitarist Kevin Eubanks. He was born in Philadelphia, raised with music in his family, and was turned on to the guitar by James Brown. He spent some early years learning and gigging with legends like Art Blakey, Roy Haynes, Slide Hampton, and Sam Rivers. And he also played gigs in Jordan, Pakistan, and India on a tour sponsored by the U.S. State Department in his 20s. And he was the face of the Tonight Show with Jay Leno as the leader of the band from 90 to 2010 he is now promoting his 2017 album east west timeline and has plenty to say about his life and jazz and getting back to the roots of jazz so get to know him and dig this interview my friends
1: hey thank you again for taking a few minutes out for me today i appreciate it oh my pleasure man thanks for having me Right on. I'm going to go ahead and start off here and just kind of generically ask, I know you got the new album out, East-West Timeline, but kind of give me an idea of what's going on in your world. I'm thinking about a lot of projects
2: and a lot of musicians that I want to play with, and some of them are coming to fruition. I'm playing with some wonderful musicians that I've always liked playing with, like uh Dave Holland and Marvin smith And seems like it's going to be a really good year for playing some music <laughs> with Eric Harland and Chris Potter and a bunch of other people that I just, you know, seem to just have a good synchronicity when it comes to playing. And, and there's some other things that I do. I do certain conferences around the country. The Nantucket Project is one that is Esri... Conference in San Diego, which is in July this year, and not a lot, but a few um motivational speaking conferences that i have been starting to be a part of and I'm happy to be invited to those situations and share some insights that hopefully resonate with people, which is a new aspect of my career that I'm happy to embrace and then there's um Ideas about writing a uh, a book, and at the same time, the music is the basis, at least the sp- starting point for me. Where it kind of makes everything possible, maybe not um, possible in the sense of making it happen, but creatively making it happen. The ideas flow from the fact that I've been blessed to play music my whole life. So, believe me, once you <laughs> Once you finally believe you uh, are destined to play music, which is a very strange profession, (laughs) (laughs) and the chances of people doing that are very slim. The chances of making it as an artist in any genre, I don't even just talk about music, but all the different artistic possibilities, the society isn't very well set up for that. So if you are blessed enough to be able to have your life attached to um, artistic endeavors then you should really embrace that and and know how fortunate that opportunity is. Music made me a believer in all the other things that are possible.
1: Beautiful. Before we get into your latest album, which I love, 2017's upcoming East West Timeline, I gotta ask you, being fortunate and and being a lifelong musician, you've had the fortunate opportunity to be in front of millions on The Tonight Show. I want to know, how did you get that nightly gig out of your blood? How did you adjust to life after that show and being one of the bigger faces in the realm not only of jazz but of music?
2: There was no adjustment period, really. I didn't feel that there was an adjustment. The adjustment was going to Hollywood, but there was no real adjustment leaving Hollywood. It was really one day I was playing music on television and the next day I was playing music at Newport or I was recording a record or I mean I've been playing music and making records since uh you know my whole career that never that's in my blood so that never was neglected to the point where it it felt like my uh, creative home was to put a guitar on and play with a great band. That, that's all I ever wanted to do since I was a child, was to play in a great band, playing with, and everybody. You know, when I was growing up, I thought everybody, we should all be best friends. I mean, that's the way it starts in the neighborhood. You know, neighborhood bands, and it's the most important thing in the world to you. You're 14, 15, 16 years old, and everybody's going out getting cheesesteaks, after you rehearse, you're setting up equipment, you're breaking it down. You have like a club, and everybody were best friends. You know that balloon burst once I hit New York, <laughs> and I saw the drummer, the drummer and the bass player argue. I was like, wait a minute, this is the way it's supposed to be. And uh, so that's what I came up with. That's the picture of my future was that I want to play in a great band, and everybody just loved each other, and we just you know. Just wrote on this magic carpet ride of music. When things were winding down in Hollywood, there was no transition other than letting people know that I wanted to play, you know, in a touring band again and start recording again. And so that's what I did. But there was no real big deal about doing it, you know, there, there, was, there was nothing that I had to uh, get used to. Um, so much. Uh, the one thing I did have to get used to, uh, I might add, is that things felt a little more stressed as I traveled. Um, accessing airport, getting on a flight, dealing with the, the stress factor seemed to be a lot higher than I anticipated. Because basically, I was in the TV studio for 18 years. I mean, I did a few things here and there. I did make um, a few records, you know, but I never—I pers- didn't—I didn't have the time to pursue it, you know, like I normally would, like I'm doing now. But basically, I was used to the temperament of Hollywood and being in TV studios and meeting everybody. And the whole celebrity red carpet thing was just part of my life for 18 years, and um, I got used to that. You know, the the whole idea of Hollywood and everything became second nature. And, um, so everybody was generally, you know, happy and glad doing their thing, and we were all in this bubble doing it. (laughs) And then when I had to start going again and making records, and, and the stress level seemed to be like, wow, things are, things are a lot, uh, more stressful than I remember them being. And then you look on the calendar and say, yeah, well, you were kind of out of it for the past 18 years. That's, you know, you could have a child and then you blink your eye and you're in college. That's a lot of time. Yeah. So um I did have to get used to, things just seemed to be a lot more, uh, critical once I started traveling again and recording again and, and getting back to that. But that was the transition that I had to adjust to. Things were did not seem to be quite as nice. Getting from point A to point B,
1: it seems like the transition's been pretty smooth for you with this latest album. I want to talk to you a little bit about what went into this album. It just it there's there's such a nice feel to this album what What was your intent going into the studio recording this album? the intent was um i
2: the group that I normally play with uh with uh, Marvin Smith, Bill Pierce, and Renee Camacho, this is the band that I, you know, generally play with. If I get called, you know, oh, we want your band to play, that's the band that I play with. I've been doing playing with that band for years, and that feels like you know we're all really good friends. It reminded me of back in the day at home. It, you know, I was growing up. It has that feel. I've known many since college, and Bill Pierce since college, and Renee I met in uh, L.A and uh, we all get along great we 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 sound great together i love the feel of everything and um and in the meantime i've been doing for the past few years i mean i get back to playing with uh dave holland who i played with i've been playing with dave you know long before the uh tonight show in hollywood we made plenty of records played on each other's records for years and then, um once the, uh, uh, the show was over, uh, Dave and I got together and decided to start, you know, a band and play and, you know, start doing our thing again. And I got, you know, I started playing, doing a lot of tours and records with Dave. And that got to be home again, cause, you know, I used to feel at home playing with Dave, and so I felt like I was part of two different camps. Um, because we played consistently, I played consistently with Dave, and, and I, on the other hand, I played consistently with with uh, Smitty and Bill and Renee. So, um, and I felt funny because I wanted to make this record special, and um, I said, "Wow, I don't know what to do. I'm dr- I'm torn between what I should do, you know, because I feel like I play my best with these two groups." You know, or I play my best when I'm playing with Dave, I play my best when I'm playing with Smitty and Bill and everybody and and you know, I love playing with Eric and um with you know Ovid Calvert. I mean, I just feel really comfortable with the musicians that I've been playing with, and I didn't know what to do. I use you know I asked, would this group play or would that group play and then it hit me that um one was basically based in. New York and the other one was basically based in LA so I thought well let's use both bands and use that as the concept instead of trying to decide one or the other or blend them together let's just look at it like this is the reality I love playing with this group of people and I love playing with this group of people and they're both my favorite two situations to be in mm. so that that's how the concept really started. And I started once I started uh writing the music, the um East Coast band, I wrote all the music and then the West Coast band I did arrangements on music on songs that someone else wrote. I did not even realize that that had happened until all the music was done. And I looked at it and I was trying to sequence it and well this should go there and this would go there. I said, Wow, this is amazing. I didn't realize that I made arrangements for all the West Coast band, and I wrote originals for all the East Coast band. It just kind of came out that way. I did not plan it that way. And mm-hmm. so I was doing a sequence, and I said, you know what? Just put the East Coast band on one thing and the West Coast band on the other <laughs> And it just turned out to be a naturally e- evolving concept. That by the end of it, I said, I got both bands, and one is East Coast and one is West Coast. So uh, and I started thinking about my time in New York, and uh, which was basically the first half of my career, and then the time in l a which is basically the second and then so i said wow it's it's not really a concept, it's more of kind of a timeline from New York to l a to to the present day, so I just
1: thought, well, east West timeline really spells it out Let me ask you about your childhood in Philadelphia. You were trained on the violin, trumpet, and piano. How did, and I know you were, you you came from a musical family, how is it that the guitar became the instrument that you were going to play? I really don't
2: know. Um, I should, probably should be a piano player, regrettably not a violinist, a concert violinist. (laughs) And, and you, and you just, that just doesn't happen. I mean, I don't want to sound, you know, oh, well, I could just, I could have just chosen to be a concert violinist. No, you can't. you got to work like crazy, <laughs> you know. I mean, but that would be the objective, <laughs> whether or not that was achieved, <laughs> you know. But my regret was that I stopped playing violin. I, w- I should have just continued to play. Whether my aspirations playing guitar came up or not, I should still have continued with violin. I should have taken my parents' advice, keep playing the violin. Oh, no, I want to play guitar. But the instrument that comes most natural to me is piano, which I never did take lessons for. I just like, I love piano, and I just support myself piano to the extent that I can play. Uh, As far as um, playing guitar, came out of the blue. Went to a James Brown concert at the Uptown Theater in Philadelphia. After the show was over, parents were come to pick me and my brother up. Um, I can remember it. it was starting to rain a little bit. I'm standing on the curb waiting for the car. Man, you got to stand there. I, said, I wouldn't have cell phones then. <laughs> you got to wait on the car to, to recognize the light. Oh, there's a the bumper. I know that bumper anywhere. And I'm looking down at my feet. I'm standing on the edge of the curb, and I said, "I'm going to be. I'm going to play guitar." And that was it. And I don't know where that buzz came from or anything. You would think after a James Brown concert, who was my favorite, you know, we all wanted to be James Brown, um, that I would want to sing and dance or something. But I wanted to play guitar. And the guitar player in James Brown's band plays the same chord, and he plays it brilliantly. And I'm not saying that facetiously because it is very difficult to play the same, basically the same chord through a whole show and do it to the, so well that you give such a funky groove to what you're, con, you know, what you're doing. I mean, you're so vital to what's happening that I mean, people might say, "Oh, that's an easy, simple thing to do," and they would be wrong. I don't know if I could do that um, all night, all career, and make it sound so much like it's the first time and it's so rich and, you know, that that the guitar player really added to the, you know, to that music. Um, I never went through that in my mind. I never articulated it that way in my mind. I just remember standing out on the curb saying, I going to play guitar. So the next day, I told my parents that I wanted to play guitar and um, that's how it happened. I wish there was a a, a more, you know, appropriate story <laughs> that was like, oh, that makes sense. But it really didn't make that much sense. And, you know, um, I really probably should have been a piano player. My mom plays piano. My uncle, Ray Bryant, is famous for playing piano. And um, and I love violin music to this day. I still study a lot of violin pieces. Um you know, and I listen to a lot of, uh, you know, I love going to see a, a, a an orchestra when they have a concert violinist at
1: night. It's amazing. Um, so where the guitar came from, I really don't know. Anytime you can put James Brown into a story, it's profound. So I think that's it's, it's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> um What does a brain in its early 20s soak up from someone like Art Blakey? You've been around him and Roy Haynes and Slide Hampton, Sam Rivers. Mm -hmm. That must have been an incredible encyclopedic amount of information to soak up as a young jazz musician.
2: Yes, it was. And it was beautiful years of learning. I mean, if anybody doesn't think that's a school, they have to amend their definition of what school is going out with Art Blakey in Europe and doing records doing a record with Art. I'm so privileged and lucky to be the I think the only guitarist to ever record with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. And wow. And I I was with Art and just learning everything. The you know, speaking with Art, hanging with Art, you know, listening to him give me direction on playing, um, you know, everything. It was just amazing. In uh, in that band was um, everybody that opened the way. I don't know. It was just so much. Everybody. We all came to New York after that. Went in Branford, my brother Robin, uh, Bill Pierce, James Williams, uh, Bobby Watson. uh, You know, everybody was in this band together. We're part of the Jazz Messengers. I know I'm leaving out people like Valerie Ponnamarev and um, Charles Fambrough. You know. I mean, it was a wonderful band to be in at, um, I don't know, what, 19, 20 years old or something like that, and um, what you learn, you don't even know that you're learning it until the process is well underway. You know you're learning stuff. You're excited, young. I could stay in Europe for two months, you know, if it, if that's what was needed. I did tours with Sam Rivers and you know, in Europe for two months uh, and playing with Roy Haynes in the States and and Billy Higgins, too, around the same time. And uh, all of that, I mean, you learn so much. And not necessarily, not solely about the notes and playing and all that, but you start to understand the culture of jazz. And that, may be the most important thing at all. The other thing is the personal journey of you and your instrument and, and all that. And, and of course, being a guitar player, especially in those days, there were only a few bands to play with. Art Blakey was not one of them. He, he never used guitar. Um, but I always wanted to play with Elvin Jones, and the Heath Brothers had a guitar. There was very, very few bands you could play with playing guitar you know um so when art blakey actually the band, I about like wow i was so nervous i just couldn't sleep i couldn't do anything i was you know uh so you learn so much that you look back on it and realize these gentlemen created your um uh, connection to the culture of of jazz cuz these are original people we are the people that came generations after They helped start this whole thing. They held the ground. They—they're the ones that made it, that helped make it into the art form known as jazz. So you're getting taught by the original people that did all of this, and you learn like right there. One of the most beautiful ways of learning is as an apprenticeship. So I felt like I was, you know, the apprentice to and I was fortunate to have all of these people, all of these masters that um, I could learn from. So that type of education, that type of school, cannot be put in an institution and just put a name of a school over top of it. Um, so I'm so fortunate and so lucky to be able to learn from these um, these musicians, these you know iconic musicians that will will not happen again. That's historic now, you know, in most cases. So I got in soon enough to actually be on the bandstand with them and going out to eat with them and having talks in the airport or on the plane or wherever you want and, you know, hang out at Roy Haynes' house and rehearse and then we go on the road something like that. I mean, that's just amazing. So um, I owe so much to that entire uh, group of musicians in that time period and their open-mindedness to say, yeah, you know, let's do guitar. And, um, you know, and this was the hardcore days, you know, to just start playing. <laughs> you, know, but, you know, you know, think or swim it was basically it, you know. So um, it really gave you preparation for things you don't even know that were going to be coming your way.
1: Other events that happened early on for you that had to be formative was playing in Jordan and Pakistan and India. And in this modern day and era when you hear those countries you think completely different things but back in the eighties mm-hmm. that still had to be a huge moment to be in areas delivering something like jazz to those people. What kind of what kind of growth was that for you to do that?
2: The first time I had been in areas that were void of what western culture. And I had no idea what that was going to be like. And I was a very adventuresome person. And I was always looking forward to it, you know, as if you really want to know what's going on, and the best thing to do is to be there. And these opportunities came up, and I said, yeah, I want to go, I want to go. And so when you start to travel and to see the uh, culture of different places that you've only heard of, and sometimes not in a, um, you know, comprehensive way, you hear the flavor of the way people want you to react. And that had a kind of prolific. I mean, just just a, a pervasive type of change me when I saw that. I started, you know, checking out music from different places and the way they dressed and how the food and everything. So it really makes your your bubble just, if you could, or your bowl or whatever you want to call it, just expands what you feel the possibilities could be. Things that you didn't know, and you're a young, you're a younger person, and it's good to get those things in when you're younger because now you see, um, different people, different food, different music, different things as opportunities instead of, um, things to be, um, suspicious of. And, I mean, with a, you know, with common sense intact, of course, um, you believe it or not, there's people that I met in, uh, other parts of the world that are afraid to come to L.A afraid to come to New York or that some gang is going to attack them or they're going to get kidnapped you know, if they go to Mexico or um, in New York they're going to get robbed or something like that. And you, the and first thing you go, like, what? <laughs> no, come to New York. I'll meet you. We'll have a great time, you know. And to them, you know, it's the same thing. Oh, come over, at Jordan, you know. You know, oh, we have this restaurant we'll take you to. And I think, but once you know the people, and and all that it just you know you start to understand the vastness of of the world the, the socialized world you know not to mention some of the uh, other things that you see in different countries just the, the the landscapes and seeing things that you haven't seen before and um you realize that wow I, i'm uh, it, it changes things you know it changes a melody which people think is just part of music, but change in melody means a change in thought. You start hearing different forms and harmonies based on some of the experiences that you have. So it's just really an uh, interpretation through music of what you experience. So sometimes getting more experience or being exposed to different things is um, only going to make you a more comprehensively educated person. And if you somehow naturally can bring that into your music, it's a wonderful
1: thing. You've mentioned at the top of the interview feeling fortunate to to be a musician, to play music, and you've dedicated your life to jazz. So I want to generically ask you, why do you love jazz?
2: The freedom that's in it, musical freedom that's, that goes with the nature of jazz. And at the same time, it's a very... I'm not trying to be... Just a good way to define it is that it's very democratic when you're on a bandstand playing. Everybody's playing their own thing, but they all uh, add to the whole that you're hearing. I mean, the bass player's playing different notes. The piano player's different notes. But they're all playing the same song. They're playing the same chord. They're playing the same moment. But they can do it in their own way And by doing it in their own way, it gives the whole music a personality that that is moving, that's emotional, that is um, supportive of each other, and it's all happening at the same time. So it's a beautiful model of, you know, how to coexist and to progress at the same time. We're not fighting each other. And you know right away if that happens in the music or this person may be playing a little bit louder Or this person might be playing to this or to that and the other. And you can have all these terms or, you know, it's out of balance, it's this and that and the other. But one of the beautiful things about uh, jazz music is, you know, suppose you've gone through some things personally. Um, You've had um, disappointing things happen in your family or or you're, you're just sad that day because you heard something that happened in another, or whatever it is. And you get to play music that night. So uh, you don't have to keep that energy bottled up, this disappointment bottled up, or this happiness. could be something that made you very happy and you're just exuberant that night and I'm just on top of the beat and I'm pushing it and, I'm, you know, my solos are full of notes and, and everything and you're just happy and that's how it's being expressed. One way or another, it turns into some beautiful music. I've been on, you know, uh, gigs with my group and, um, you know... The, the Smitty, you know, if I'm playing with that group, um, Smitty is just feeling it that night. Just playing great. And I, uh, you know, this is his night. It's like the point guard on the basketball team. Give him the ball. He's hot tonight. Let him, you know, <laughs> let him do the thing, do his thing, you know. So that night, you know, I don't have to do that much, but the music still is beautiful because now his energy is what's shining tonight because it's just a natural thing. And one of the things that's beautiful about jazz is all of these things are possible, and at the same time, it elevates the music, and you're all doing it together. And I think that's a beautiful thing, and that draws me in more and more, you know, towards feeling that jazz is a very unique way of
1: expressing a group and individual at the same time. Speaking of individual, I want to ask you this. Everyone has a version of who you are, your family, your friends, the public, your those that buy your music, but when you face the world and wake up each day, who who are you? Who do you think you are? I think I'm a,
2: uh, a planetary citizen. I live on a planet. I don't live on a city. And I'm here and at some point not here As part of a process that's organic, that's natural, that moves within me, that's who or slash what I am, you know. I think of myself as a product of nature more so than a product of society. So first of all, I'm that, you know. I'm one of the children of the sea. We came out of the ocean. So... I'm a product of planet Earth. I'm a product of this thing that's spinning in midair around this big fireball that's sitting in the middle. And we're spinning on some rock and water. And we orbit and all that. So this is, like, who would think it is? I mean, you know, you cut your hand and your hand heals. What is more of a miracle? Than that? How beautiful is that? You know, you throw a seed in the ground and it grows and you pick it and you eat it. I mean, how do you improve on that? I don't think you improve on it. I think you appreciate it and support it. It yeah. was here before us. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be here. So an attitude that we can control that and do that is, I think, is going backwards. Well, so that's what I think, first of all. And I um, try to keep that in my heart and in my mind. And when you have to deal with things in societies that um, we live in, you somehow have to define, you know, who and what you are in a different plane. You have to somehow keep your, well, this is what I do anyway. I mean, Other people have their own thoughts, of course. That um, above all, remember you're a planetary being. When you're dealing with society, don't let it overwhelm you to the point where that you forget that you're spinning on a rock. On something that's miraculous and this big fireball you see every day, the sun, keeps you alive. If that miracle was possible, is it really that hard to live next to something different than you? You can accept the fireball in the middle of the solar system and that you're spinning on a rock with water and rain comes and snow and all these beautiful different things happen. You can accept all of that basically because you can't do anything to change it. But it's really a miracle. I mean, you cut your hand and it heals. I mean, what is what could be more cooler than that? Yeah. Food grows out of the ground. I mean, you pick fruit off of a tree. I mean, what is how beautiful is that? But if somebody moves next door to you that doesn't look like you, then you just have to put your foot down and say, well, this has gone too far. I mean, this, this big fireball is okay, but really i got to live next to this person. I mean, it becomes so silly and petty after a while that you – you can't let that overwhelm you and that's a negative thing there's a lot of wonderful positive things too like playing music or you know a lot of wonderful things that people do together and even then you know um, you, you know this is all possible because I'm a planetary being I came from something that was full of nature not full of ambition and you know it wasn't trying to do anything other than be itself So within the midst of everything you have to deal with in society, one of the things that I try to never forget, and I have different ways of reminding myself, that that's who you are first, that your heart is beating and you're not plugged into a a wall socket. It's just beating. I mean, mean, it's just like amazing stuff. I mean, you know, we see in color. I mean, it's just amazing dealing with society. try to remember that I'm from a planet And the society is something that we deal with because there's so many, you know, the the masses of people have to have a system so that we can
1: coexist. Beautiful. I love that answer. It's a great way to wrap everything up. Kevin, thank you for taking a little bit of time out today to talk about your new album and open up your world a little bit to
2: me. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity, man, and thank you so
0: much. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in L.A., New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Kevin for his honesty, his music, and all of that wisdom. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com, and for all things Neon Jazz, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.